So tonight's uh, service, it's a lessons in carols service, uh, and so I'm giving a few brief lessons, uh, four in total. And I just wanted to welcome everyone. Andy already welcomed us, but I want to welcome you, especially if you're a a visitor or a guest. We do have these white uh, cards on the back of the chairs. If you would fill one out and take it back to the Welcome Center after the service, we have a gift for you. Uh, And my name is Jonathan Romick, just by way of introduction. So we just opened our time this evening by singing, O Come, All Ye Faithful. Now, I think this is a great Christmas carol, a great Christmas song to open our service with, right? Because it's an invitation to come and sing, to come and worship Christ Jesus. But is it actually Jesus that we've come to worship? And if so, like, who is the Jesus? Which Jesus have we come to, to sing about tonight and to worship? Now, I once saw a scene in a movie that I thought made like a really powerful sermon illustration, but I never thought I would actually bring this scene up, this movie scene up at a Christmas Eve service because uh, the scene is from the movie Talladega Nights. I don't know if you've heard or watched Talladega Nights. It's a movie about NASCAR and it stars Will Ferrell as Ricky Bobby. Uh, and he's this, this amazing NASCAR driver. But throughout the movie, he prays to dear baby Jesus. He does this on multiple occasions, dear baby Jesus. In fact, he actually gets in an argument with his wife and his father-in-law because he prays this way. His, his wife and father-in-law just think, it's ridiculous. Why are you praying to dear baby Jesus? I wanted to share a quote with you. Carly, his wife, says, You know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. And Ricky, well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to the grown-up Jesus or the teenage Jesus or the bearded Jesus or whatever you want. I, I personally think that's pretty funny. But I also think it makes kind of an interesting point because it gets down to the heart of Christmas. Which Jesus have we come to worship? As you come to the the Christmas season, as you come to Christmas Day, and you begin to think about Jesus, about the Christ child, do you think about the child or the adult or teenage Jesus or or bearded, bearded Jesus? Who do you think of? If we primarily think about baby Jesus... If we primarily come to worship him, what does that do for us? Well, I have a a son, you may have noticed, and he's pretty harmless. He's pretty innocent. And so if we think about Jesus primarily as a baby, he is a harmless, innocent child that really doesn't make any demands of us. Uh, Baby Jesus just eats and sleeps and cries. Baby Jesus won't tell you how to live your life. Jesus, that is a newborn, doesn't expect much of us. Or perhaps you're actually thinking of the grown-up Jesus, the adult Jesus who lived a life of servitude and, and died a sacrificial death and then rose again and then actually ascended, went up into heaven and is seated next to God the Father. See, that Jesus is Lord of everything, <laughs> That Jesus is in charge. That Jesus is not harmless. In the first verse of O Come All Ye Faithful, 
We do sing about Jesus born at Bethlehem. He is born the king of angels, though. Don't forget that part. See, even in the first lines here, we're recognizing that Jesus isn't a harmless baby. He is God. He is born with power. He is born with authority. Each verse sings about some aspect of his birth, but each ends with the words, O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. What is a Lord? We don't really have lords in our society. A Lord rules. A Lord is a king. A Lord is sovereign. See, Jesus was king at his birth. He was a Lord. He's no longer a baby. In fact, the New Testament book of Hebrews says this about Jesus. It says that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That doesn't sound like a harmless baby, does it? No, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is reigning. Jesus is king. So when we sing, oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord, let's, let's mean it. We've already sung it tonight. We're going to have more opportunities throughout this evening to really posture our hearts uh, in an act of submission to the Lord, an act of worship to him. We can focus on him as Christ the Lord, Christ the King, no longer a baby, but one who sits on the throne. We're going to continue now with reading the Christmas story. Reading from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Uh, So for the remaining lessons, I'm actually going to introduce the next song that we're singing. So the first one I looked back, and these ones I'm looking forward. And we're going to sing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel in just a moment. Now, there's a a beautiful uh, chorus in this song. It says, Rejoice, Rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Now, we're not telling Emmanuel to come to Israel. But we're rejoicing that Emmanuel has come. So we need to understand a little bit more about what this word Emmanuel means in order to kind of get the song. And so I wanted to explain the word Emmanuel because that's not a common word that we hear in our 
everyday vernacular. Now, the word Emmanuel actually appears in an Old Testament prophecy spoken 700 years before the birth of Christ. In fact, we actually have a hard copy of this prophecy that predates the birth of Jesus Christ. So it's pretty cool that we have that. That's the great Isaiah scroll from the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's dated 125 B.C., but this is what the the prophecy says. Isaiah 7.14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now maybe some of you are wondering, you've seen the word Emmanuel with an I and you've also seen it with an E. Well, the Hebrew form of Emmanuel is spelled with an I. And the Greek form, which is just a, a translation of the Hebrew form, is spelled with an E. So Greek is E, Hebrew is I. But that doesn't really matter. What matters is who it's talking about. Who is Emmanuel? Who is this person? And obviously, it's Jesus. We're talking about Jesus. In fact, the Gospel of Matthew quotes Isaiah. It points back to Isaiah. It says, Jesus has fulfilled this prophecy that was spoken 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And we see this in Matthew chapter 1. Verses 22 through 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So this word that appeared back in Isaiah and then is referenced in, in the Gospel of Matthew actually means God with us, this name. So I wanted to kind of break it down for you. See, it's a, Emmanuel is a compound word. A compound word is a word like snowflake. Snow and flake are two different things, but when you put them together, they mean something else, snowflake. And Emmanuel is actually made up of three words. It's M, with, manu, us, and L, God. And L is the shortened form of Elohim. So Emmanuel literally means with us, God, or God with us. So what is Isaiah saying in this prophecy then? Isaiah is saying that one day God is going to come and be with us through a child. Through the birth of a child, God is going to come and make his presence known among humankind. And that's different than saying like, Kind of the Greek mythology is that, you know, we're going to have these half-human, half-god creatures, Hercules and other beings like that. That's completely different because Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man. He's 100% totally God and 100% totally human. And so somehow the divine has made its home with the mundane, with the ordinary, with the creation. God has come and dwelt among us. How did this happen? Well, through the Holy Spirit coming and conceiving this child within the Virgin Mary. See, the Holy Spirit is actually Jesus' biological father. Sometimes we talk about like Joseph being Jesus' father. Well, Joseph is Jesus' adopted father. The Holy Spirit is Jesus' biological father, and his biological mother is Mary. And so this is what makes Jesus both God and man. And so when we're singing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, 
we're not just singing a nice Christmas song. We're singing that God has fulfilled that promise back in Isaiah, a promise now that is uh, over 2,700 years old, that God would come and, and dwell with humankind, come and dwell with people. And now we're not just singing about that this promise will one day be fulfilled. We're singing that this promise has been fulfilled. And still, we even look past Christmas. We, learn, we, we look to the return of Christ when, when that will be its ultimate fulfillment, when God will come and be with humankind forever and ever. So let's sing about Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. So Christianity Today, uh, it's a, a magazine I subscribe to. It uh, recently published an article, actually, on this song, I Heard the Bells. Uh, and as I read this article, I learned that I Heard the Bells uh, is a poem. And it's written by the great American poet, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And he wrote this as a poem, actually, during the Civil War. Uh, the Civil War is the bloodiest war in American history. And the lyrics in this, this song that we're about to sing reflect this. And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. I didn't know this, but just a few years prior to uh, the writing of this poem, uh, Henry uh, experienced... Uh, a lot of like personal tragedy. His wife died in a tragic accident that left him scarred on his face. And that same year, his son was wounded gravely in the Civil War. He lived, but it was a bad injury. And so when, uh, when Longfellow wrote this poem, he was writing from a place of personal pain, the pain he had experienced in his own life, but then he was also writing it uh, in reflection, in response to the, the pain that the country was going through during the Civil War. And yet, if we go back to the first verse of the song, we recognize, and, and Longfellow recognized, that this is not how life is supposed to be, especially at Christmas time. So we read here, it says, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. In music sweet, the tones repeat, there's peace on earth, goodwill to men. And so I think uh, Longfellow is describing a tension. He's describing a tension between how life should feel, especially at Christmas, should be a, a day of peace and joy, and yet how, how reality actually faces us in times of conflict and tension and pain. And I think that rings true today. I think that rings true in our own lives, right? Because we do have these moments of peace and serenity and uh, times with uh, family and, and just having a wonderful time with each other during the Christmas season. But then we're also bombarded with either news tension, uh, uh, politics, tragedies. Maybe even sometimes your family or friends can cause some of those tensions and conflicts in your life. And so I think each one of us are wrestling with that tension between like the joy of Christmas and the reality of everyday life. And the Bible actually helps explain this tension a little bit because it tells us that our world is good, it was created beautifully, and yet our world is also marred. It's marred by something called sin. Romans 3, 10 through 11 says this. It says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. 
There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. See, all of us have decided in our hearts that apart from God's grace, like, we're not interested in God. We're not interested in his ways. And sin has created disorder and chaos in our world. It, it, it's the root cause of tragedy and conflict and, and death and brokenness. But the Bible doesn't stop with that. The Bible also tells us the good news, the good story, that there's hope, that there's, there's gospel, there's good news for any who will put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if you track this theme throughout the rest of the Bible, you find out that God is interested in restoring creation. He talks about that in Romans chapter 8. And then in Revelation chapter 21, there's this beautiful picture of a new creation, a new heaven, a new earth, where everything has been renewed. Now, I think our song sings of a divine hope. Now, Longfellow, he was a Unitarian, and that means he didn't believe in Jesus Christ like we do at this church. But I think he still captured the hope that God offers in this stanza. He said this, Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth goodwill to men. See, as we sing this song tonight, we personally, as a, as a church, as a, as a people, can find our hope in Jesus Christ. Despite a world in conflict, God promises that one day he is going to right all wrongs. The right will prevail. The wrong shall fail. Jesus is going to bring justice and truth, and he will reign in peace forever and ever and ever. And so let's sing about that, that struggle and yet that ultimate and final hope in I Heard the Bells. Well, we've reached kind of the last lesson of tonight's service, and we're going to sing uh, Silent Night after this, followed by Joy to the World. And uh, I wanted to kind of answer the question of why we sing uh, Joy to the World after Silent Night. Like, why do we sing these at the, the end of a, of a typical Christmas Eve service? And we first need to kind of look at what is Silent Night about? Maybe you think you know what Silent Night is about, and as you sing it here in a moment, you'll remember. Uh, but it recounts uh, several miracles, and uh, three we're going to look at tonight. And the first miracle is the birth of a child to a virgin. Now, verse 1 says, Round yon virgin, mother and child. Now, yon is short for yonder. It's not a word we use very often. Maybe I can challenge you to use it sometime soon. Yonder, like over there. So when we say round yon virgin, uh, mother and child, we're saying, look, over there, there's a virgin. There's a mother with her child. When we sing this song, we're, we're, we're recounting a miracle foretold by Scripture the prophecy we actually looked at earlier tonight, the prophecy from Isaiah that spoke of a, a virgin being with child. And both the Gospel of Matthew, like we looked at, but also the Gospel of Luke, tell us that Mary was a virgin when the Holy Spirit conceived Jesus within her. 
And so the virgin birth is the first miracle that we recount in Silent Night. The second is a miracle of the angels appearing to the shepherds. It's just this this miraculous appearance of the angels appearing in the night sky. Verse 2 of Silent Night says, Shepherds quake at the sight. Glories stream from heaven afar. Heavenly hosts sing alleluia. The angels have come to announce the birth of the Christ child. Christ means Messiah. Messiah was this long-awaited uh, figure uh, for the, the, the Hebrew people that was going to come and, and deliver them. They thought uh, uh, economically and socially, and one day those things will happen, but, but ultimately spiritually. And so the, this miracle, like the only thing that's fitting to announce the, the birth of the Messiah, the birth of the Christ, is the angels appearing. There's this divine, supernatural miracle taking place. And the angels appear to shepherds, the lowest of the low, the lowest class, because our God has come for them, for us. And so the angels appear to kind of signify that this is no ordinary birth. <laughs> There's something significant about this child. And then the third miracle is that this baby is the Son of God. Verses 2 and 3 of Silent Night say, Christ the Savior is born, Son of God Loves pure light, Jesus Lord at thy birth. So the mom wasn't ordinary, right? She was a virgin. His birth wasn't ordinary. The angels announced it. And what are these things getting at? <laughs> that this Christ child, that this baby isn't ordinary, that he's super ordinary, that he's that he's supernatural, he's divine. He is God who has come in the flesh. He is Lord, He's King, He's the Savior. But did people respond to Jesus like he was Lord and Savior and King? You don't really need to know much about the Bible or Christianity to realize that people rejected him. They they crucified him. That's why we have a, a cross up. The crowds did not accept him. See, 33 years after his birth, Jesus died and was buried. And so how can we sing the next song? How can we sing joy to the world if if the story ends in tragedy? Well, this is something that we need to wrestle with, but our song, Joy to the World, is actually not originally written to celebrate Christmas. Maybe you didn't know that, but Joy to the World was not originally talking about the birth of the Savior when it was written. Yes, we sing it at Christmas time now, we sing it as a Christmas song, but this hymn is actually based on Psalm 98 which speaks of the Lord's final return at the end of days to restore and judge the world. And so I wanted to read you some from Psalm 98. This is verses 4 through 9. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and blasts of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord the King. Let The sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. So this psalm is the psalm that inspired the writing of joy to the world. And it's not primarily speaking about the birth of the Messiah. It's it's speaking about the return 
of the Messiah, the return of Christ Jesus. We've been talking tonight about Jesus being seated on a throne. And yet if he's truly to be Emmanuel, God with us, he has to come and, and make his place among us. He has to come and dwell among us. And this psalm tells us that one day God will. He will descend. He will fill this world. He will fill this earth. Instead of ruling from afar, he will rule up close and personal. So when we sing joy to the world, the Lord has come, we're not actually singing about the birth of the precious little baby Jesus. We're, we're, we're singing about the return of King Jesus in final victory and final judgment over sin and death and Satan. So let's, let's sing Silent Night together as uh, as a people celebrating the first coming of Christ, and then let's sing Joy to the World uh, as a celebration of the second coming of Christ Jesus, that we're looking forward to his return.